The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 1, the party of four, Kagan the fighter, the cleric, Gyrios, the mage, Umura, and the dwarf, Soli, try to put some distance between themselves and the ogre. Before they get too far, they are attacked by three giant spiders, but luck is on their side, and they kill all three of the spiders before any of them are poisoned. The party presses on, and just before nightfall, discovers a river. Perhaps this, they hope, can lead them back to civilization. At the very least, it will keep them from dying of thirst. It is here, in Chapter 1, that my role as storyteller ended, and my role as interpreter of the dice truly began. Chapter 2, Part 1, Day 2, Morning, Party Status, Soli, 8 of 9 hit points, Kagan, 7 of 8 hit points. Umura, 5 of 5 hit points. Gyrios, 7 of 7 hit points. Spells available, Umura has memorized. Shield. The party's luck holds, and for the duration of the night, nothing discovers or disturbs their rest. Typically, I would rule that their full night's sleep would restore a lost hit point to any injured party member, but as this is their fourth day without food, I will rule that they cannot heal naturally until they take food, and eventually, their health will begin to deteriorate because of its lack. The party wakes and stretches. Watches posted through the night have reported nothing, and, especially with the discovery of the small river, spirits are high and hope has sprung anew. As the party takes their ragged clothes from branches where they have left them to dry, they discuss the imperative of finding food. Our best bet, says Gyrios, is to follow this river downstream. It might lead into a larger body, and there we will have the best chance to find a settlement. Mazagar willing, we will find something before hunger claims us. It is not pleasant, volunteered Soli. But we could go another month without food if we had to. For a dwarf, it's fairly common. 
The party gathered its few things and followed the river as the land sloped gently down. Here, the trees seemed to grow taller and more lush. The sounds of wildlife were less furtive as well, and on several occasions a bird erupted from the foliage in front of them, cutting up and away into the sky with a rude caw. As they walked, Gyrios called ahead to the man at their lead. Kagan, you said you were from Briar Hill. I have studied maps of the region, but have not heard of it. What manner of place is it you come from? Kagan spent the next hour telling Gyrios, and any others who were listening, about his simple upbringing in Briar Hill. It was a small town of 400 souls. Most who lived there worked in forestry, or sawing trunks into lumber. Some of the men were river drivers, others rangers, hunters, and skinners. He told them how he had been raised by a widower who spent much of his time hunting and had taught Kagan some skill with simple snares and the use of a bow. Kagan explained he was never a very good shot and when he came of age switched to the woodsman trade, feeling more comfortable with the axe and the bow. Well, my father died shortly after that. I struck out on my own then. I lived for a time in Sparrow Lake and then I was on the road to Burke when the goblins took me. The rest of the story you can pretty much figure out for yourself, Gyrios. And well, that's all there is to me. My whole life in a single hour's tale. He laughed good-naturedly. And you? Will you tell us more of yourself, for we have miles yet to cross and nothing else to... Kagan cut himself off and immediately threw his hand back, a sign for the others to halt and be silent. Ahead, up a prominent rise, was a tower. More precisely, it was the ruin of a tower. How he had not seen it long ago was no mystery, for it was so overgrown with vines and mosses it almost blended perfectly with the forest. The stones used to build it were completely covered with brown and green. The others gathered close to take in the sight. It must be several hundreds of years old, whispered Umora. Look at the design of the thing, and the top two floors have completely caved in. What do you think? Should we take a closer look? There might be food there, breathed Gyrios, looking haggard. Oh, I, I wouldn't hope too much for that, Umora whispered back. It looks completely abandoned, but perhaps we could find out of use, or at least see if it might provide some shelter. As you know, I have some small experience setting traps and snares for small game. Perhaps using the bowstring, our knife, or whatever small branches and sticks we may find, I could catch a squirrel, perhaps something even larger. With luck, we may be able to build a fire. We might take shelter there, said Kagan. The idea of meat, even raw, could not be ignored by a single one of them. The party drew cautiously closer, listening for, and scanning the tower's jagged walls for, signs of enemies. It does seem abandoned, said Kagan, but stay close to me. Dagger held before him, Kagan closed the distance, and his companions followed, ready for anything. Dramatis Personae. Gyrios is a level one human male cleric of Mazagar, the Eternal Flame, Lord of Light. He is 24 years old. He has wavy brown hair that falls to his shoulders. He has hazel eyes and a fair complexion. There is a mole on his right cheek beside his nose. He prefers to be clean shaven when it is possible to be so. Gyrios is of average height and weight 
at 5 foot 11 inches tall and 170 pounds. All in all, Gyrios is a man of unremarkable appearance. When Gyrios talks, his voice, whether it's his accent from his home country of Camranth or just a personal affectation, comes out somewhat pinched and strained. It gives some people the impression that he is haughty. Others interpret it as a kind of innate cowardice. However, Gyrios is in fact not a coward at all. He's a young man who has chosen a difficult path in life and faces it daily without hesitation. He is extremely idealistic and prone to making pronouncements of his vision of what should be and what is righteous without valuing the thoughts and ideals of others. Gyrios is the youngest of three brothers from an affluent Camaranthian family. As the youngest, his lot was always to follow the cloth. But Gyrios took to the teachings of the temple quickly and became not only a great student of, but a great defender of his faith. He devoutly believes that his role in life is to spread the word and glory of Mazagar, the Eternal Flame, Lord of Light, who Gyrios believes gave the sun to the world and is the spring of all hope and wisdom. At the age of 22, Gyrios renounced all of his worldly possessions and followed a tradition in Camranth to become a missionary in the far-flung parts of the world, always traveling by foot and sharing his religion as he went. Gyrios has done so for over a year. He tends to take up with those who will provide room and board in exchange for his teachings, and then move on after a period of weeks or months. He has had numerous adventures and learned much of the land he currently travels, but these adventures seemed about to come to an end when, while traveling east with no destination in mind, he was captured by the goblin slavers. Part 2. Day 2. Late Morning. The ruined tower proved older and in worse condition than it had originally appeared. The wall facing them stood some 15 feet high, but as the party circled around, looking for an entryway, the crumbling line of ruin sloped sharply down, revealing that the tower was now nothing more than a hollow shell. The slim stairway that once spiraled about its 20-foot radius had gone completely to rubble just a few feet off the ground. Broken chunks of brick and bits of mortar lay strewn everywhere across the floor. A rotted pile of cut wood was stacked in the corner, eaten through with termite holes. A place such as this, remarked Gyrios, must have its ghosts. I wonder who built this place, and why in the middle of a woods? Look here, said Umura, her voice a low whisper, as if there really were spirits about. This tree has grown right through the wall on this side. This tower is older than some of the trees. Perhaps this place once marked the forest edge. That would be good for us, returned Gyrios. Perhaps a town or even some farmlands will not be too far off. Although, his expression dropped as he remembered. Maps I have studied of this region do show watchtowers situated in some very isolated places. Thinking too hard will not fill our bellies, said Kagan. He turned to Umura. Hand me that bowstring you saved from before. I'll go a little ways into the woods and see what I can build. Perhaps tonight we'll finally have a meal. The rest of you, look for anything of use. Build a fire if you can, and stay watchful. With that, he went into the wood, selecting choice branches and twigs as he went. Overhead, puffy clouds drifted lazily, and treetops rustled in the light wind. Because Kagan has some experience as a trapper, 
I will give him a 10% chance to catch something each hour. That might be a little on the low side, I'm not sure, but he doesn't have access to real snares and has to jury-rig something. Each hour, there's also a chance for a wandering encounter at their base camp of the tower, and they're without Kagan and their only real weapon. The party does have a good hiding spot, however, so a wandering encounter will not necessarily end in violence. The rolls indicate that good fortune continues to follow the party, for on the sixth hour, Kagan catches a squirrel. It's now late afternoon. Kagan will return to camp to share his meager finding. Before returning, he marks his spot and sets the trap in hopes of a second kill. Meanwhile, the party back at camp has not been so lucky. At least, not at first appraisal. They've found nothing of any use in the tower. Even the random bits of debris they've discovered are rotted and worthless, even as fuel. Worse, on the fourth hour, a wandering monster is indicated. And the dice show that the creature is the most dangerous on the list. The young ogre who murdered and, truth be told, ate two of their original party has been sighted on the opposite side of the river. With the large tower wall between them and the creature, they might remain unseen. However, the tower is a landmark in itself and may draw the young ogre's interest. The party watches breathlessly as it lumbers alongside the river, clearly searching for something, almost certainly searching for them. I will roll to see if the ogre spots them or investigates. Their blood turns to ice as the creature stops and turns to gaze directly at them. It makes several short steps toward them until it is knee deep in the river. At this point, it hesitates inexplicably. Suddenly, as if it has been rebuked, it makes a whining noise, snorts and shakes its head as a bull might, turns and disappears back the way it came. The party looks at each other, amazed at their fortune, but thoroughly confused. Perhaps this place is haunted, whispered Umura. The lack of any response from the others was somehow chilling. Two hours later, Kagan returned with his catch. He showed the squirrel to the others and shrugged. Better than nothing, he says. I see you've not built a fire. That creature has come back, said Girios. We are not safe here. It is only by a miracle that we were not discovered. The cleric drew a holy sign upon his forehead with a finger. We cannot stay here. A long silence hung in the air. Oh, look what I found. I found some grubs here, said Soli. As if on cue, a light rain began to fall. Kagan looked up at the sky and frowned. Dwarf, take your fill. I'm fine with this delicacy. He started to skin the squirrel and, when done, handed tiny bits of bloody meat to his companions. Everybody ate their meager portion then, listening to the rain falling and feeling its coolness on their skin. The effect of the meat was instantaneous. Kagan felt strength returning to his limbs. He felt he could think clearly for the first time in days. What should their next move be, he wondered. He looked at the sky, squinting at the rain, as if he might find an answer in the clouds. After a time, he announced, I think Girios is correct, and that we should not remain here long. However, if we leave now, we will almost certainly be exposed at night. 
Perhaps we should stay here and leave at dawn. If the weather picks up, we should be glad of some cover, and this wall might provide a little protection from the wind, if not the rain. And if that ochre wishes to avoid this place, then this is the place I want to be at night, said Umura. What do you think, Master Soli? Soli did not seem to be listening. He was intent on a pile of wood under the foot of the ruined staircase. Probably hunting for more grubs, thought Kagan. I'll need to starve another few days before I start eating bugs. Soli looked up from his search with an odd expression. He was chewing slowly on a mouthful of wood grubs. He wrinkled his brow. Presently, he bent down to investigate more carefully and ran his short-fingered hands over the woodpile, trying to move the pieces. This is strange, he muttered aloud. Extremely strange. No more fat ones, joked Kagan. Ugh. Umura made a face. Extremely strange indeed, the dwarf repeated. Come here and look at this. The dwarf took hold of a protruding piece of wood and lifted it straight up. Given the weight on top of it, it should have been much more difficult to do. And the wood, even if it had not appeared rotten through, should have buckled under the weight of the timber pile atop it. But it did not snap. In fact, the entire pile of wood lifted up easily and all at once, as though it were a single piece and attached to a hinge on the floor. Revealed beneath this bizarre trapdoor was a stairwell leading sharply down and into a tunnel of darkness. Soli's eyes went large. Without hesitation, the dwarf opened the concealed door wide and disappeared down the steps. Kagan, Gyrios, and Umora peered down into the hole in the earth. A dank, earthy smell wafted up through the opening. The darkness below was absolute. Between the Lines Thank you once again for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've listened this far, hopefully that means that you're finding the podcast engaging. I've definitely enjoyed making it, and I hope to carry on with this strange experiment in storytelling for a long time. I wanted to interrupt this story, for lack of a better term, to talk about some of the rules I've been using and will continue to use in the future. As I mentioned near the start, I'm mostly using Dungeons & Dragons basic rules, specifically the Moldvay edition. I've tweaked some of the rules, however, to make what I think will be a better story, game, and podcast experience. If you're curious as to why I've chosen the basic rules over the other editions, well, I just find them to be the right choice due to their brevity. It's D&D, so of course I'll be consulting charts and tables frequently. That's part of the fun of the game. But later editions of the game really become rules-heavy, and maybe they're just not the best for an audio medium. Anyway, let's talk about some of the homebrew changes I've made and why I've made them. One, leveling. I've always found the experience point system of D&D to be, well, poor. And I think so for a number of reasons. It rewards players for defeating foes and for, maybe oddly, finding treasure. The defeating foes part makes sense for warriors, but does it make sense for a rogue character? I'm not sure. The treasure finding aspect must then make sense for rogues and restore balance to the game, right? Uh, I'm not really sure that it does. Does it make sense that if a character finds a chest with 2,000 gold pieces in it that they would suddenly find their skills and toughness improving? Mm. What about a character who inherited a fortune? Would that character suddenly advance from level 1 to 8 overnight? Could characters pass treasure back and forth as gifts and farm the XP? Mm, it's not for me. 
Experience points should come from all kinds of experience, and so it makes sense to me that simply surviving hardship and practicing your trade, whether it be warrior, priest, or whatever, should be the source of the experience. In Tale of the Manticore, I decided that characters will gain their first level by surviving 10 episodes. I could stagger the advancement by class, but that seems unnecessarily complicated. Any character who survives the required number of episodes and is not somehow incapacitated or quote-unquote sitting out will be rewarded with the first level advancement. Subsequent levels will be somewhat harder to attain. 2. Hit Points I decided that all of my characters would receive maximum hit points each level. Why? Simply put, the story would have a hard time even beginning if I rolled up a character and had them be so weak that a stiff wind would knock them over. It's even worse to consider a character that fought and clawed their way to level 2, only to roll a one hit point increase. For a fighter, a reward like that is probably a death sentence, and that kind of tension doesn't seem to add to the story, to me, but just to take away from it. For monsters and NPCs, I will have them min out at half hit points. I'm not putting my characters up against a minotaur with seven hit points. That's just not something I'm interested in. Oh, and on the subject of hit points, there will be no negative hit points in Tale of the Manticore. If a character goes below zero, they are dead. That's it. If they hit exactly zero, well, why not? Let's say that they're bleeding out and we'll give their fellows a small chance to save them. Three. In the same way that I'm not interested in characters with garbage hit points, I'm likewise not interested in having player characters with abysmally low attribute scores, even if it does make them more interesting to roleplay. The Basic Rules has an entry on Hopeless Characters. It doesn't spell out exactly what that looks like, but for me, a 3, 4, or 5 in any attribute is just too low. What in the world would I do if I rolled up a great character but they had an intelligence of 3? I just don't think I could play this character. It wouldn't be fun or interesting for me. So, we will re-roll it until there's something we can use. Other than that, I won't be doing any re-rolling or point adjustment nor swapping of scores or anything like that. When rolling the first characters, I simply scrapped any character that didn't fit my order of, one for each class. That's probably the only time I'll bend that rule. I did it so that I could start the adventure with the classic set. But in the future, anything goes. 4. Combat I have a few homebrew rules regarding combat, too. On a nat 20, a character or a monster has scored a critical hit, they will do full damage, plus a roll of the die. Modifiers are added after, and are not doubled. So if Kagan, who has a plus one strength modifier, hits the spider with a dagger with a natural 20, the damage would be max for the dagger, which is four, plus another one to four on a d4, plus one for his strength bonus. On a natural one, we have a critical miss. In melee, this means the attack misses and the next attack is forfeit. For missile fire, the critical miss might, if the situation makes sense, indicate friendly fire. You probably should think twice before firing that crossbow into a melee, right? I mean, it gets hectic in there. 5. Errata I just wanted to make a quick mention of another couple of changes. I've altered the wandering monster check to be once every two hours instead of once per two turns, which I think is every 20 minutes if I'm interpreting the rules correctly. Anyway. That's far too often, and if I did that, the entire story would just be an endless string of wandering encounters. Finally, I decided to start the game with no starting inventory, mostly because starting a podcast with a detailed shopping experience just didn't seem very entertaining. 
when the characters have nothing, it's much easier to mentally keep track of anything that they do acquire as they find them, for both the listeners and myself. Well, that about covers it for now. Perhaps in the future we'll revisit this segment as new rules and changes to existing rules emerge. In the meantime, I do post such things as well as character sheets and maps and other stuff like that to the website, so please check out taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com for more information. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. You have been listening to the remastered version of this episode. If you enjoy what you've heard and you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. For show notes, rants, random thoughts, character sheets, maps, inventory sheets, and all kinds of things, check out taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials, at Tale on Twitter and Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. The story will continue in the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Lucius Tarquin has been exiled to the Outlands, a sector of space far beyond the control of the Founder Clans. Taking a job to deliver an important data packet to a renowned shipbuilder on the desert world rampart, Lucius enters a world of danger, adventure, and discovery. With every vow he swears, he must delve deeper into a universe beset by conflict and find his own path through. I'm Steve Morrison, writer and game master, and in season one of my solo RPG podcast, Errant Adventures, I chronicled the journey of Lucius Tarquin as I play Ironsworn Starforged. You can find the show on all your favorite podcast apps, so join me as we uncover the story every week.